Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I was looking at a, uh, watching a particular documentary uh, just the other day, and uh, it was about mountain climbing. And I don't know, maybe somebody has caught it on Netflix. It's called 14 Peaks. I don't know if anyone has ever seen that particular show, but it's quite interesting and maybe boring to, to anybody else. But I'm, I'm a documentary kind of guy. But I was watching this documentary, and it was a, about a particular guy individually, though they show his partners and his team and, and other people involved in the whole theme of the movie, if you will, or the documentary. Uh, this one particular guy that was named Neptali or something like that, but he was from Nepal. And uh, this guy was born with a specific desire, for some reason innate inside, that he wanted to somehow uh, conquer uh, just the human race, if you will, or uh, take the body to its extreme place where nothing is really impossible. And so for him, since a young age, as the testimony goes in this particular documentary, he always wanted to excel. He joined the army uh, of his country, and he excelled. And, and every time at home, he was getting in trouble because everything he was doing was extreme. He had one dream he speaks about in this whole movie, and this is what this whole documentary is about, is that he wanted to climb 14 of the highest peaks in the world. Now, I can't name them to you, but they're in the world. I saw them on television. But he wanted to conquer them. He wanted to climb every single one of those peaks. He knew he could. There was a gentleman previous to him that had conquered that particular task years before, but it took this man 16 years to climb up these particular high peaks of these mountains. Him and his team, it took 16 years of preparation and getting ready for this trip and finally doing it and celebrating after 16 years, well, knowing this man, he said, I can do it faster. As a matter of fact, as I have studied this particular climb, I know I can do it in seven months. Now, it's quite the difference, 16 years and seven months. And you would expect, as obvious, that many people thought he was out of his mind. There's no possible way. This particular professional climber before you took 16 years to be able to accomplish this task. He said, I can do it. They said, it's impossible. And when they told him it's impossible, it kind of resonated in his heart. He said, that's exactly what this particular task is going to be called. This whole journey of climbing these 14 peaks, it's called the, the possible. Not the impossible, but the possible. And so he begins, obviously, and they begin to document all his, his efforts and everything that he went through in preparation for this particular climbs. And in between the climb that they were showing, uh, he was talking and telling and speaking of himself in regards to what it took him 
to prepare for this particular climbs. And so he obviously looked at his body, and he, he was a well-built young man. But he said, I have a little gut on me, and this is going to have to go. And so they show him just in brief little nits of the film where he's crunching his belly, and he's running down hills and full speed up hills and just preparing for these climbs. His diet changed and everything about him, he had to be ready for this. But there's something, again, I want to get to as I get to my message this morning that really spoke to my heart. And from this, I, I take the premise of this message, if you will, or the, uh, the platform of this conversation with you this morning. He, of course, had his team and all of them were undergoing the same rigorous training. But something he said really caught my ear. He said, you know... As I get ready to take that trip up that hill, I'm already standing at the top. I'm already standing on the peak. Now, as you would expect, there were challenges. As a matter of fact, during the show, and I won't go through the whole documentary, but they show a particular time when he was about to climb like the third or fourth peak already he had been successful previously failing nothing he had experienced horrible things on his way up he found dead climbers he found wounded barely breathing climbers he had to leave a man up there to die because they themselves had no oxygen as they were making their descend from the mountain horrible experiences but one was going up to what they call the first, second, and third, fourth shelf. They only have four shelves. They stop at the first, second, and third, and fourth, and the fourth, they're going to make it all the way or not at all. And on the second shelf, they met a group of climbers up there. Him and his team got up there, and they celebrated, and they sat down inside the tent, and they began to talk. And they were wondering why that particular group had not moved from that second shelf they had been there a couple of days already and it's normally a day of rest and then they go to the third shelf fourth shelf and on during this documentary they show these guys where they skipped all the shelves all together and made it up in 20 something hours straight up to the apex of that mountain but they were there with this group of people and these people were sitting there completely devastated absolutely discouraged and he became a team leader automatically as they welcomed him as the last group to come up to that shelf. He said, what are you guys doing here? He says, There's, it's impossible to make it. He goes, it's not impossible to make it. We can make it. But we must make it together. He tried to be inclusive to everybody. At the end of the conversation, it was him and his team. And they made it. They were successful. And of course, the whole documentary ends with him having accomplished his six-month and two-weeks task of climbing the 14 highest peaks in the world. But he said, and I say this again because this is what I want to plant in your heart. This is the gist of this whole conversation. He was already standing on the peak. He had already made an ascension before he even bodily ascended 
to that peak. Are you with me this morning? He had already gone up and was standing firmly, victorious on the peak of that mountain before he physically actually climbed up. And it was that emotional or will force deep within him that vacuumed him up to that position. But he was there. Let me pray with you this morning. I pray the Lord gives us knowledge and wisdom and encouragement today. Father, I pray that this morning, Father, somehow, Lord, in everything that you've given me to write down, that you would make sense out of it into the hearts of your people. That whatever I am not able to convey properly, Father, in my language or mind, thought or words, that Holy Spirit, you would take these words and you would engrave them deep in the hearts of your people, Father. That when we leave this place, our attitudes, our hearts and minds would be changed and focused on different things that you want us to be focused on. Encourage us, I pray, Father. Encourage us as we see your day approaching. We know that you're coming soon. We thank you for your word this morning and for every saint seated in this place today. Bless every family represented, those on social media as well. In the name of Jesus. Climbing that mountain. I want us to read a passage, a scripture this morning. I'm sure many of you are acquainted with. But hopefully this will refocus ourselves as well, that we are not too far off from Nepal's desire to climb and stand on the peak one day. You and I, whether you recognize that or not, we are two climbers. We are also climbers. But we're not out to climb Mount Everest. We are out to climb something much higher than Mount Everest. We're out to, to climb not, not, the, not the highest peak that men can measure or see or explore. But we are called to climb even higher than the third heaven. The highest any man has ever climbed. But as in this documentary, we find that not everybody made it to the peak. That there was special preparation for that climb. And so the question of the hour this morning to us all is, who then shall ascend? Who then is going to make the climb? Who then is going to stand on the peak? Psalms 24 and 1-6 is our passage of choice this morning, and I will spend the next few minutes speaking to you on the subject of who shall ascend to the hill. The psalmist writes, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it for he founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters 
And here comes the intriguing question for all of us. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand on the peak of his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Many Christians today, ladies and gentlemen, in the past and in the present have compared Christianity or our walk with God as a mountain climbing experience. A man once said, mountain climbing is like going to church. It's always a challenge. Always a challenge. And in the scripture, we have the Lord always encouraging us to pay close attention, to, to give great attention to the moving forward in our walk with God. And certainly today, today the encouragement is to keep moving forward in our climb to heaven. Because not everyone will stand on the peak of his holy place. That's a sobering truth. And the question of the hour is, will you and I be the privileged? Luke 13 and 24, make every effort, the word of God says, to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Who shall ascend? This is a very serious question. As a matter of fact, it should be a daily question for all of us. We should ask ourselves every morning when we rise, just as we pray, who shall ascend? And look at ourselves in the mirror as we prepare to go out to our labors in the day. Say, who shall ascend? And as you ask yourself this question, I believe that it will keep us on razor's edge in relationship with God. This question will allow us to to be focused on our daily responsibility to keep drawing closer to God and continually make effort every moment of our day to see Him more clearly and to draw to Him more closely. This question posed here is without doubt meant to cause the reader to search his heart. That's why the psalmist penned it down. This is why the Holy Spirit left of this passage. It was meant for us, the reader, to make ourselves conscious, to bring us back to sobriety, to think about our responsibilities to God and the great expectations that we have in Him to keep us moving forward toward our journey toward heaven. And this question also not only comes to sober us, but it must, and it demands an answer. Who shall ascend? God doesn't ask anything without waiting for an answer, and the answer must come from us. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? This demands an answer from all who have ever thought or had a desire to inhabit 
the glorious place that we have been promised. It awakens us, this question does. And it makes us also aware of something else, ladies and gentlemen, this question. It comes to sober us and realign us with our main thought and focus of the day. It also comes to challenges that we must answer this question, but it also brings us to the reality that our life here on earth is not forever. It brings our mortality into focus, bringing us to the fact that life here on earth is not eternal as some would hope or believe, that, that beyond the veil of what we see, which is the sky, there is something beyond that, and it's called eternity. It's called eternity. And every one of us in this place will experience eternity. Young and old. You know, this past Friday at my uh, home, my wife and I hosted our young adults uh, at our house. We had a wonderful time. <laughs> young adults, are you here? Yeah, we had a great time. Uh, my wife and I enjoyed their company so well. I mean, it brought youth into our home, I promise you. I told my wife, uh, we're 62 years old. I feel at least 59 now. After such a wonderful visit, we, uh, you should see them run. And, did you see them worshiping the Lord up here this morning? Yes? Yes, did you? Doesn't that challenge us, those of us who are standing there with our hands in our pocket? Back to the message. Just wait. Next Sunday, I'm going to call everyone to the altar to jump around and beat our young people. We can. They ain't got nothing on us. We invented the Christian two-step. They're dragging on the skirts of what we have left for them. Young people, don't get all arrogant on me. No, no, no. No, no, no. You know, we can bust a move every now and then, you know. Who shall ascend? A lot of people in this world, depending on where they stand and who they are, could probably give an answer to that question really quick. The young, well, maybe they'll say, who will ascend to the hill? We will. Possibly comparing that this hill that I speak of is something that you'll find on some theme park. Those rock climbing walls where I've seen many young people just run up there, it seems like. But it's not a wall on a theme park. And those that think that climbing up to the hill of the Lord think that's nothing more than a game. Ignore the fact that in this climb there are difficult things to go through. There are jacked edges and cutting edges found on the walls of this mountain called Christianity. And the people who speak that it's an easy climb speaks too soon. They know nothing. Like some of us do who have been climbing all these years. 
We bear the scars of the jagged walls as we move toward that mountain. The ignorant of God's word, those that don't know God's word might say, all of us will. We'll all climb the hill of the Lord. Thinking that scaling this wall is not really necessary, but only for those who need to be busybodies. You can be all kind of busy Christian if you want in this world, but ultimately everyone's getting an elevator ride to the peak of God's holy mountain. Just live it up. Enjoy. Keep going. Don't worry about your walk with God. At the end of the day, he's going to send a flaming chariot and he's going to elevate us all the way into the living room of God. Ignorant of God's word. The self-sufficient might say, I certainly will. I will ascend upon that hill. After all, I'm industrious and my character is polished. I am nice. I'm courteous. I'm peace-loving. Why shouldn't I be given a place on that peak? Do you know who I am? Maybe the downcast, those who have had trouble even maintaining themselves here on earth in their self-esteem and lowliness, they might say, I will certainly not make it. I see who I am, and I have tried many times. I have no skill for climbing this wall. I have no skill for climbing this mountain, and what I've done is only break my bones every time I try to make that journey. My skin is torn and my efforts are useless. I'll never make it up the hill of the Lord. Many have given answers to the question. And it's important for all of us this morning, ladies and gentlemen, to give our own answer. To that question. Christ teaches us something very important in parallel to Nepal. Or Nepali, whatever his name is. And that's what really intrigued me as I was looking at his life and listening to the things he said concerning his climbing. I thought of my Savior. And it brought me to a sobering thought and how awesome a revelation it was to me. I hope I can share this effectively to you today. You see, Christ ascended to the hill of the Lord. If you'll read the book of Acts, you'll find that those that follow him were standing at the outskirts of Bethany one day when Jesus, right there in conversation with them, all of a sudden made his ascension into the presence of the Father, that all these guys stayed just looking up like, wow. He made his ascension to the hill of the Lord. His ascension was unequaled and unparalleled by any other, even Nepalis. It was our risen Savior who made his journey all the way up to heaven. But did his ascension begin 
in the outskirts of Jerusalem. Have we ever thought about that? Did Christ make his journey or begin his journey to heaven as he stood with these men in this particular area he chose? Is that when he said, well, guys, I'm out of here, puts his gear on and he goes? I challenge you to the thought that I believe that Christ's ascension began way before his body was taken to heaven. And you hear it in Nepali's words when he said, before he began the journey, he was already standing on the peak. And so I believe it was with Christ that before he even was raptured by the Father into his presence, Jesus was already there. He leaves us a testimony of when and how his journey began. You know, the Bible says of us, ladies and gentlemen, that one day in the twinkling of an eye, at the last sound of the trumpet, the dead will rise imperishable and we shall be changed. There's going to be a translation of all of us who are in the Lord. First Thessalonians 4 and 16 tells us, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. We too are going to be ascending. So the question, as I mentioned earlier, is not are we all going to experience immortality and are we all uh, not going to experience eternity? And the answer to that, yes, all of us will. But again, the question is where? Where will you spend your eternity? Something has to happen, as we saw in the life of Christ in all of us today, and this is what I will share quickly. And I take this again from the life of Nepali and the parallel of Christ. You know, just like a fire, when you light it up, it's by some natural law, the flame climbs up. Everybody knows that flame never burns down. When you light a fire, we had a campfire at our house with our young people and the fire was nice and high and it was super warm, super nice. But by some, natural, by some natural law, flames and the bubbles and the little crispy things that fly up, they all climb up. It's going to be that same way for you and I when Jesus comes. It's going to be by that spiritual law that we are vacuumed into the presence of the Lord. That's what the rapture is all about. That's what the rapture is going to entail. It's going to be by the very spiritual laws that God has placed in order, there you and I are going to be vacuumed into the presence of the Lord. But again, the question is, does it begin at that moment or does it begin before? I say to you this morning, it begins before. Let me tell you what it has to be in heaven now before you even make your physical ascension. One your heart. 
I asked you as I prayed for you this morning, let us introspect, let us look inside, let us examine ourselves, as Paul said. Where is your heart right now? As we stand on level ground, as still you have not been elevated into the presence of the Lord, still you have not been vacuumed by that spiritual law, still you have not even put on your backpack to begin this physical climb into the presence of the Lord, where is your heart? I say to you that the heart of Christ had already ascended to heaven by the time he left those men outside of Jerusalem. Where is your heart today? If the hill of the Lord is desired to be climbed successfully, then there must be an ascension of the heart first of all. That means that our heart must be prepared. It must always already be focused. Just like Nepali said, before I even begin the climb, I was already standing on the peak. And I'm wondering how many Christians today who walk with Christ really have their heart already standing on the peak of God's holy hill. The heart is a very important member of our bodies. It's a very important organ, not only to us physically, but to us spiritually. You know, by the way, I'll mention to you in passing, I'm going to Houston right after I finish speaking to you this morning. Uh, I'm going to go and examine my liver and my kidneys. They, uh, my kidneys have been whatever. But before I got my transplant, ladies and gentlemen, you would not believe how long it took me to even qualify for this new organ that I have. And the major part of all those testings, I mean, I got on treadmills, kind of like Nepali, running up and down that mountain, training my lungs. They, they, they put me on treadmills and tied me. And look how, do I look athletic to you, ladies and gentlemen? Do not answer me. Just, I just asked a question. But they made me run. Like for 10 minutes faster, and I'm going like, really? And they expected my heart to hit like 130 beats. Ladies and gentlemen, my heart by nature right now is at 62. You realize how much exertion I have to put myself through to even hit? I was on there already like 8, 10 minutes, and go like, all right, you're doing good. You're about 89. I'm not going to do it. My heart doesn't run that fast. I'm just a cool guy. I'm chill. But eventually they made me. But the major part of that whole year of the extensive tests I went through, you know what they were on? They were on my heart. Because they knew that unless my heart was good, it was useless to give me this. Many people who are in emergency or whatever, they try to give them a new organ. Let it be kidneys. Let it be whatever. Let it be lungs. A good friend of mine died as he got a new heart because his lungs were bad. That means you have to be at peak level. And by the grace of God, they found my heart in excellent condition. 
And I was able to qualify, and therefore, here by the grace of God, I stand before you alive and well. But they worked on my heart extensively. The Bible rightfully says in Proverbs 4 and 23, I will not finish today, obviously, just to let you know. Proverbs 4 and 23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's that way for anything. When you're going into surgery, when you're going to join a, a marathon, uh, when you're going to become a mountain climber, when, whatever. Your heart needs to be in check or else you are risking failure. Something absolutely out that's it's going to end up hurting you instead of helping you. And certainly we cannot climb that holy mountain with a bad heart. The Bible says that the people in Noah's time, that their generation, their particular hearts of this generation were filled with every inclination of evil. For the people of Israel, it would be their hearts that was filled with arrogance and self-sufficiency, self-righteous many times that cut them short from getting to Canaan. It was an issue of the heart. Their hearts needed to ascend to the hill before they even began to make the climb. For Judas, it was greed. And for others, it was sin, lust, rebellion, hatred, jealousy, pride, and all these things that made for a bad heart. No one could ever suppose that he can make such a climb and false test results. No more should someone join a marathon team by using a test from somebody else's heart. We'll all stand alone in the presence of God, ladies and gentlemen. Young people, I had a wonderful time with you Friday. My wife and I enjoyed you. We're going to do it again. But even you, young people, as much as we love you and you, are, you belong to us, it will be your heart alone that will stand before God. Ladies and gentlemen, husbands and wives, because your wife walks a thin line with Christ, sir, your wife's heart will not spare you from the grips of hell and vice versa. We all stand on the genuine test of our own heart. It's a spiritual truth and it's a physical truth. That we have to watch our hearts. Why? Because the heart is dangerous. The heart is dangerous if not taken care of spiritually. I'll speak to you on that. But even physically, where we don't take care of our heart, it's a dangerous thing. It can kill us. If it chooses to stop because of the mistreatment of it, it'll stop and we're gone. But also, spiritually, we are told in the Scripture, Jeremiah 17, 9 specifically, the heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what 
his deeds deserve. But the key words that should jump out to all of us that cause us to keep an eye on our heart is the fact that we are told by God's holy word that it can be deceitful amongst many other things we find in Scripture. Matthew 15 and 15, it can be corrupt. 2 Peter 2 and 14, it can be covetous. Romans 1 and 21, it can be darkened. Hebrews 3 and 12, it can be evil and, uh, and filled with unbelief. Luke 8 and 11, it can be indifferent. Matthew 13 and 4, it can harden. Luke 9 and 41, it can be wayward. Mark 7 and 23, it can be the source of evil. Tell me, with that kind of potential, would you ever turn your back on your heart? Would you ever choose to just leave it alone and let it run wild as many people do today? Let your heart run wild in any direction it wants to run. Yet the Bible tells us it's crucial that we must pay attention to our heart in the most serious way. Again, only, I speak to those only who want to make their ascension to the hill of the Lord. We are told in Scripture, and we see testimony of those who were confident as we see the psalmist write again in Psalms 86 and 12. He said, I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. And this is what the Lord wants from all of us. This is what he wants from all of us. But everything we allow our heart to maneuver through and to do and produce is love for God. To keep your heart in heaven today. Before the trumpet sound. Before we see him split the eastern sky. Before we hear the voice of the archangel. Our hearts must make the ascension today. Jesus was prepared. His heart was in heaven already. He made sure, as the scripture says to us in warning, Luke 21 and 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. Something this Nepali guy mentioned on the way up. He says, our backpacks were 70, 80 pounds climbing up a wall this flat. We were filled with oxygen tanks and everything else, he said, plus tents and all this gear that they needed and the ropes they needed to help them up. But they knew how much they could carry and... Some of us here today need to realize what we're carrying and learn to let go of those things that can weigh us down and keep us away from making that climb. As your heart prepares and as your heart begins to make that ascension, right there and then, that spiritual law, that physical law that draws fire up to heaven, that spiritual law will begin to you'll be walking and you'll begin to feel the, the pull of heaven 
as you walk on a daily basis. Because you're already standing on the peak. Where is your heart today? Is it here? Is it involved in your business, in your school, in your family, and whatever it is? Are you so involved with life? Are you involved in all these politics? Are you involved in this or the other? Are you so busy that your heart is just mixed with this world in such a way that you just can't tell where it begins or where it ends? If that's you, it's time to collect your heart. It's time to gather your heart, bring it together, and begin to push it up. And let your heart today begin to make its ascension. Unless your heart is standing in his presence today, there is no polarity, no gravitational pull, no vacuum from heaven that can draw you up to him anytime. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend? We're out of time this morning. I'm going to stop right there. I've got so much more to tell you. I want you to come back this coming Sunday. And I'm going to continue teaching you the things that must take place now. So that when you answer that question, and again I say to you, it demands an answer. You will answer that question. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? It brings us to sobriety again. I pray it does in the spirit today. It makes us aware. It makes us conscious to see have you ever forgotten about something and, and said, well, where did I leave it? Honey, where's my heart? I didn't even notice it was gone. Have you ever lost sight of something? You've forgotten about it. You don't even know where it's at. That at the moment that you need it, you're going like, I knew I saw it somewhere. I had it, and I was taking care of it really well, but I got busy with stuff. Where is it at? You see, and there's nowhere you can find or buy another heart. So this question is for the heart you have now. And the answer you will give, you will give concerning to your heart now. And it's the Lord that is posing that question to all of us. It's posing that question to me. Who shall ascend? As I ask you to stand. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? You're young, well, pastor, I'm going to run right up and scale those walls. Mm. Not with a bad heart. The intelligent ones that are great at strategy, uh, I'll figure it out. I, 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 I can look at it. 
and I don't need time. I'll, I'll work the schematics out. I'll see which way I have to go. I'll make it up there. Not on a bad heart. Maybe those with great wealth and say, well, listen, I'm sure I'll find somebody to lead me up there. I'll just pay somebody to carry my stuff and I'll make it up there. I'm not going to worry about that. It's going to be okay. I'm good. I'm good for it. I've, I've put some stuff aside that when I need someone to carry my load, I'll be able to, to, to make it up there and, and with ease. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't have to carry anything. Not with a bad heart. Not with a bad heart. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.